Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Discover the power within Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Our topic today is meditations on the five elements, and we will be discussing the interconnection between humans and nature and how we can participate in the healing of the earth. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Christopher Key Chapel. Dr. Chapel is Doshi Professor of Indic and Comparative Theology and Founding Director of the Master of Arts in Yoga Studies at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. He has published more than 20 books on topics that include studies of Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, yoga, and religion, and ecology including the book we will be discussing today, Living Landscapes. He has received many grants for his research and serves on numerous advisory boards worldwide. Dr. Chapel is dedicated to the teaching of the whole person, body, mind, and spirit through the modalities of book learning and experience as provided in yoga traditions. You can find out more about Christopher Chapel and his programs at the Loyola Marymount website, bellarmine.lmu.edu. We will be posting this link on our website, theyogahour.com. Christopher Chapel has been a guest on the Yoga Hour several times in the past, and we will post those links to those episodes on our website as well. Before, before we begin our dialogue about uh, living landscapes and the uh, five elements, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. Om. Let's begin by taking this moment out of our busy day and bringing our attention to the here and now. Let's notice our bodies in space, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or walking, perhaps driving in the car, and just feeling our body, feeling the surfaces that support our body, feeling our feet, feeling any parts of ourselves that are supported by the chair or cushion where we're sitting, and then bringing our attention to the breath wonderful tool that's always with us and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath noticing the next inhale 
and exhale. On the next inhale, the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, the warm air flowing out. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, from her book of poetry, The Moon Reminded Me. And the poem is entitled, Listen. I am listening to the sound of your footsteps, birds coming in to roost, rose petals opening, foam of the wave disappearing in sand. Women who are asleep miss the colors of dawn, the sound of you coming to meet them. And with that, Christopher Key Chapel, I believe you're with us now. Is that right? Yes, here I am. Okay, perfect. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm so delighted to have you join me today as a guest to discuss your beautiful book, Living Landscapes, Meditations on the Five Elements in Hindu, Buddhist, and Jain Yogas. So let's start there. What inspired you to write a book on the five elements? Oh, it's quite a story and one I'm always delighted to share. So I grew up in rural New York State and in our upbringing, we often wandered the fields, the forests, the streams. Uh, it was actually Lake Ontario that was our major big lake. And then when I was 11, we moved to the Finger Lakes. And I had a long school bus ride. And it was spectacular to watch the morning break forth through the color and the clouds and through the glimmer first in the winter of mm. the bear trees and then to see the delicate, delicate spring leaves begin to first flower and then take shape. And then, of course, in the fall, the autumn leaves. And when... I began my training in classical yoga at Yoga Anand Ashram in Amityville, New York. Our first six months were really quite taken up with learning the yamas and niyamas, learning mm -hmm. about nonviolence and truthfulness. And then some months into this with daily pranayama and asana, we were given the instruction to meditate upon the elements. And we weren't really given any theory other than to just sit and make connection with the earth for a month, twice a day, mm. and then sit and make a connection with water for a month, twice a day, and then fire, air, and space. Mm. And as I grew in this, was all happening while I was a teenager. And as I went on and into my studies and uh, reflected and learned about the origins of this meditation, I discovered that it's truly a universal practice. 
encoded in really all ways of Asian perceptions of the universe. And that's where I decided to really give honor to that delicate and beautiful practice by researching the Buddhist aspects of it, the yoga, the Hindu aspects of it, the Jain articulation of it, and hence the book came to be. Mm. That's really beautiful. And I really did enjoy that aspect of the book when you give your own, you know, personal experience of of um, of the elements. Why do you think it's important for people to have an experiential connection to the five elements and perhaps particularly at this time? Yes. In fact, uh, I teach undergraduates and I teach graduate students every semester. And I've been using the book as the sort of the living laboratory and the techniques in the book as the applied aspect of their learning. And many people in this um, sort of dazed and confused world are just simply out of touch. And their experience is so mediated by electronics, so mediated by um, social media, as well as all manner of information that people stumble upon. It's also so sad uh, to see the young people who are really defining themselves by the images that they're able to share and what the students have universally, whether they're in their teens, their 20s, their 30s, up into their 70s, what they deeply appreciate about this practice is first, just to simply slow down. Second, to understand and appreciate that the source of happiness is in direct experience. And another aspect is valuing their memories. And every human person has some recollection of either a campfire or being at the beach or looking, if not climbing a mountain. And these get so covered over, so buried. And what these practices do is that they really help bring about a sense of well-being, a sense of worth and a sense of meaning. And these factors are really in high demand. Uh, So many college students are in counseling, on medication, quite really documented um, with great clarity. It's been documented with great clarity how many of them have anxiety and depression. And this this practice is really a tool that one can take anywhere and one can practice any time of the day or night mm. no, that's re- that's really lovely and i think everyone can relate to what you said about how our experience is now so overlain with um our electronic electronically mediated connections in the first chapter of the book you share a short hymn from the rig veda which um, the quotes that we focused on for our conversation come from the Hindu and the yoga uh, traditions, because that's this is the yoga hour. And I would say that you have a lot of lovely other material from other uh, traditions in the book as well. But this particular one is from the Rig Veda. 
And I wanted to ask, I'm going to read it, but I wanted to ask at the end, why did you choose this hymn to begin your exploration of the five elements? So here is the hymn. Mm. Yes, it is just so. You bear the pressure of the mountains, O earth, as you bring the ground to life with your greatness. O gently sloping one, praises sound in response to you, oscillating lady, through the nights as you fling the swelling moisture forward like a horse neighing for a prize, silvery one. You, who steadfast yourself, keep fast the trees all across the earth by your strength. When the lightning bolts of the dark clouds and the rains from heaven rain for you. Well, my, thank you for reading that. You read that so beautifully. And so much can be found in those words. First, the human-animal connection. The relationship between the human being and the horse is reciprocal and rather astonishing. Second, I think we've all gazed upon either a mountain or a horizon that has just made our hearts soar. Mm. Third, the lightning storm, the electric storm. And I imagine that any, anyone listening to this can immediately bring to mind a whole variety of experiences with uh, a lightning charge lighting up the room and the torrential rains uh, mm -hmm. either being um, too much or being just enough, either being like, oh, no, it's raining again, or my goodness, we so need rain. Yeah. So that this, this verse speaks through the ages to our relationship with the earth, with water, with fire. And it really speaks to that spark of life that is inseparable from our relationship with the planet. Well, it's, it's, really, it's really beautiful, which is one of the reasons we wanted to include it. I wanted to talk with you a little bit about Samkhya philosophy, which highlights the mm. interplay between Purusha, consciousness, and Prakriti, activity, which gives rise to the five elements, as you mentioned, earth, water, fire, air, and space. It seems that Samkhya specifically charts, as you write, quote, how the elements interweave with one another and within the human body, to create the raw material for the experience of life. Again, it's just so beautiful how the elements interweave with one another and within the human body to create the raw material for the experience of life. For those listeners who aren't familiar with Samkhya, and I know we could have like an entire multiple hour conversation just about Samkhya, so I know this is a tough question, but can you just give like a brief <laughs> overview of like what is Samkhya philosophy, where it comes from, and you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's truly a remarkable system. 
And in its earliest forms, we go back to the Vedas, and we see that there's an image given in the Vedas, repeated in various Upanishads, about two birds on the same tree. One bird is very busy eating up the fruits and flitting about, and the other bird simply gazes on. And that core metaphor is expressed as consciousness, the bird looking on, and activity, all of the flitting about and, and the, the eating that's being done by the bird. And these later take uh, words such as purusha for consciousness, which is also about the, the best aspect of the human soul, and prakriti, which is, again, the other best aspect of the human soul, which is our capacity to generate, our capacity to engage, our capacity to dance, our capacity to sing, our capacity to experience highs and lows, and most important, our capacity to, through sadhana, through spiritual practice, to align that expressive part of our nature with the pure consciousness that provides freedom. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's really beautiful. And just from my own much more limited study uh, than you, I know that the five elements really play such a key role, of, for, for example, in Ayurveda, um, where the the three doshas, the um, vata, pitta, and kapha, you know, come out of the five elements in, in yoga, and etc. So that's why we wanted to feature this conversation with you about the five elements because it does, it is woven so thoroughly through through as I mentioned, yoga and Ayurveda. Um, the first and the most dense element is earth, loving the land. What can you share? You actually, you've shared a little bit already of your own direct experience of meditation on the earth element. Yeah. Well, as I said, it sort of began spontaneously in childhood. And I think that this is true of every human being, that we go into these reveries when we're either in a park, if we're in an urban area, or if we're in the forest or the fields, And to give voice and shape to that experience, the practice of remembrance, the practice of of observation is twofold. On the one hand, um, set aside a little bit of time, um, maybe even just a few seconds of acknowledgement as part of one's, in my own case, my morning sadhana. And then, The gift of the earth is that she's always there, so that as one travels or as one just simply is within one's own room, that there will be aspects of earth calling out. Uh, Here where I'm sitting, there's a beautiful wooden floor, an old wooden floor, and it has so much to say. It has borne the weight of so many different people. And like that, the very furniture, whether it's made out of steel or it has a little bit of plastic or covered with cotton or made of wood, it's all from the earth. Mm. So I think that that is such an important and obvious gateway. Likewise, 
our relationship with food is essentially a relationship with earth. And we're able to enjoy food to the utmost when we remember the field in which it was raised, when we remember the labors of those who planted the crops, tended the crops, harvested the crops, transported, arranged for them to be at market, and then the hands that prepare the food, whether they be our own hands or someone else's hands, this brings about the recognition of so many networks of connection, the earth, food, the earth, things themselves. Well, that's, it's, really, it's really beautiful. And it's my favorite uh, prayer before eating to remember uh, everything from, you know, the sun and the rain and water that, you know, fed the crops, but also the, all of the, the people that, that, you know, arranged for the food to be available for me to be exactly. able to eat. You quote in the book from a yoga, I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly, Yoga Vasistha, is that right? Yoga Vasistha? Yeah, Yoga Vasistha, yes. Vasistha, okay. About, quote, the creation and maintenance of the world through the dance of Kali. Dancing with her outstretched arms, which looked like a forest of tall pines, she contains the world in the vibration of her mind. So beautiful. Dancing with her mm. outstretched arms, which looked like a forest of tall pines, she contains the world in the vibration of her mind. What's the significance of this verse to you? Well, we all have Kali within. We all dance every single day. And we all feel, I think, a special kinship with the tree. And my own guru, her name is Anjali Inti, wrote a song. I won't sing it, but I'll say a couple of the lyrics. See the tree standing there, tall and proud. See the tree. See the tree. Just like you, just like me. See the tree. Every human civilization, whether bereft of trees or within the abundance of trees, has a special place, say, for the cedars of Lebanon, which are no more. When we think of the tree as metaphor, we see it sunk deep, deep, deep into the earth, drinking nutrients and hydration, we see like the human body that it possesses a trunk, and we see as its leaves take various forms of expression through the course of the seasons, we see that just as the tree changes, so also the human being changes day by day, year by year. And this combination of a solidity and movement that we find in this evocation, this calling out to Kali, 
is just such a poignant reminder of the delicacy of life and the power of life. And we all know that Kali, meaning the one who possesses time, both is the giver of life and the taker of life. And as we reflect on our own fragility, as well as our own presence and strength, that we get this sort of bittersweet rejoicing over just the beauty of life itself. Indeed. Absolutely. In this uh, conversation about the five elements and in my own, you know, as I mentioned, much more limited than you, but my own reflections on the five elements, it's always so fascinated me that, of course, we need to have all of these things, right? We need to have all of these elements within us, within our bodies. And then as a physician, it's always interesting to me to think about the body from a different perspective, how, of course, we need the solidity of the earth element within ourselves. We need the our skeleton, we need our bones, you know, and, and yet we also obviously need movement, we need the fire, uh, you know, of, of course, we need water, nothing is going to, you know, run, the blood's not going to run through our body without water. And then, of course, the air in our lungs and the space within our bodies. And uh, anyway, just, uh, those are some of my reflections as I, as I think about these, um, about these five uh, elements that we're, that we're discussing. And yeah, the, uh, with that, oh, go ahead. About, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say uh, that one of the beautiful things about Sankhya is that it really does account for both chemistry and physics, which is pretty remarkable. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> That's great. And with that, unbelievably, we're already at the, at the break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with my guest, Dr. Christopher Chappell, the author of over 20 books, including the book we're discussing today, Living Landscapes, Meditations on the Five Elements in Hindu, Buddhist, and Jain Yogas. And I believe I'm not pronouncing that. How did you say it, Jain? Uh, either Jain or Jain. Okay, Jain. Jain okay. is more Hindi. Jain is more Sanskrit. Ah, uh, Okay. We welcome your comments and questions. As always, you can contact us at our website, theyogahour.com. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. When we come back from the break, we're going to dive back into our exploration of the other four elements and um, discuss both personal experience and also how these experiences are experienced in scripture. We'll be right back. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 
Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and I'm here with my guest, Dr. Christopher Chapel. Chris is a professor at Loyola Marymount University and a featured teacher on yogaglow.com. So, Chris, before the break, we were discussing the significance of the earth element, and now I want to switch to the second element of water, uh, life giver and purifier. What can you share about your own direct experience of meditation on the water element? Well, I think I'll I'll give an update since uh, the past few months, of course, many of us have had our relationship with so many aspects of the world altered. And back when I was finishing my doctorate in my middle 20s, I gifted myself with a vow to become a regular swimmer and began swimming regularly in university pool and continued that after I moved to California. And then something remarkable happened to us all. And our world changed as COVID said, you can't do this, you can't do that. So I got a wetsuit and I became a regular ocean swimmer. Wow. And I've always enjoyed going into the ocean wherever I am. And in fact, one very happy memory is swimming 28 consecutive days at sunrise in the Aegean Sea when I was teaching in Greece one summer. And this was such a mood changer. Such a a wonderful way to discover the body in a new way, uh, partly the cold temperature of the water, partly the buoyancy of eventually, as it got chilly, having the wetsuit. But this um, relationship just continues to fascinate me. And I've heard somewhere that the percentage of salinity in the ocean is the same as the salinity in, in, in uh, human blood. And I've also so enjoyed those blessed moments when the dolphins come. Not that I actually swim with dolphins, but when they come in close and you just see their sheer, sheer joy and their agility and their compassion. I mean, uh, so many forms of animal intelligence are um, superior to human intelligence, and mm. certainly the dolphins uh, worldwide have a gift of uplift mood, have just a, a very, as we say in Sankhya, a very sattvic presence that just can make the, the, the soul soar. So that's one little piece of water that is, um, I think, important to recognize. And then, of course, there's the biological aspects that we need hydration for good health. We need a flow of water within the body, within the blood. We need a flow of water out of the body to carry away impurities. We need a flow of water in order to create new life. 
we need the flow of water in order for that life to be brought into the world and to reflect on water in those moments of morning ablutions when we're brushing our teeth, taking our shower, and again at night when we have that last last gulp of water before we go to sleep. This is affirming and um, restorative. I just, I loved all of the examples you gave. It's really, really beautiful. Your quote from the book that I'm going to pull for the water element, this is again from the Yoga Vasista, atoms of water gush forth in tiny drops. Each holds its essential nature, like Brahman is found in all souls. Again, atoms of water gush forth in tiny drops. Each holds its essential nature, like Brahman is found in all souls. What does this verse say to you about the substance of the water element? Yeah, it puts us in that place of wonder, awe, and the inquisitive. And I remember one of those cold Long Island winter mornings when Grani Anjali Inti would just sort of bring forth a a moment that invited us to become meditative. And she just asked us, without providing an answer, is it the drop or is it the ocean? Hmm. And this invites us really reflect upon our multiplicity, our diversity, our difference from one another. And it invites us to reflect on what we hold in common, the consciousness that we hold in common that underlies all opinion, all belief, this silence in which we find everything, and the silence that defies any particular form of expression. So the water becomes not just a metaphor, but really a living reminder of, again, our difference and our unity. Really beautiful description. Turning to the third element of fire, locus of desire, you write, Agni, the um, word Agni is a Sanskrit word for fire. Agni Mm -hmm. manifest desire, comma, burns away impurities through tapas, illumines the world, and provides safety and warmth. Agni also destroys. You share that more hymns praise Agni than any other deity. The fire chapter begins with a quote from the Rig Veda, Hymn of Creation, Darkness was concealed by darkness there, and all this was indiscriminate chaos. That one which had been covered by the void through the heat of desire, tapas, was manifested. Darkness was concealed by darkness there, and all this was indiscriminate chaos. That one 
which had been covered by the void through the heat of desire, tapas, was manifested. Why did you begin the fire chapter with this quote? What's the significance? Desire is the root of all creation. As you will, so you will be. Mm. It's a quote also from Anjali Inti. And at the core of every human endeavor is a choice, a decision, and a spark of motivation. And this metaphorical spark is actually a real spark that uh, we feel in the warmth of our body that we manifest through the warmth of our hands, through the vibrations of our voice, and by expending energy, expending heat through our limbs as we literally stake our claim and stride into the world that we choose to occupy. And quite often, we fall prey to buying into other people's worlds. And Friedrich Nietzsche was so very articulate about the need to develop a will to power, to rise into a full humanity and abandon a sheep-like docility. And what we see in young people is that they're a little bit overwhelmed by all of their choices. Mm -hmm. And we need to just remind them that whatever it is that you choose, find within your heart and within your gut to embrace what it is that you're doing and bring sort of a fiery courage to life as you are creating it. And one of the examples that I'd like to use, and it could be um, either a fancy, you know, professional career, like um, asking someone, well, what is it that made you want to be a nurse? And then they're going to have a memory about probably something in childhood or even adulthood that sort of said, oh, this is how I can find usefulness within the world. And then it could also be that, yeah, I, I really saw that in order to support my family, that driving that truck, and I think that we're all sort of experiencing the effects of the truck driver shortage right now, that there was benefit to the world through that form of service. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has worked all manner of jobs from, from cook, which of course requires fire, to mm -hmm. cleaner, which of course involves a fair amount of um, elbow grease, um, mm -hmm. to professor, which in some ways is um, also equally energy intensive, that there are to be found in common with all callings, this notion of calling, that we are called to do something. And we're called from the depths of our, our own energy, from our own desire, from our own inner fire, to do what it is that we can do. I really enjoyed talking about the fire element specifically as our desire and what we want to bring forth 
into the world. So thank you for that. The fourth mm-hmm. element is air, wind, and breath. Would you share with our listeners the experience you had with a group of meditators in Santa Monica watching the movements of a hummingbird? Oh, it was just one of those sublime mornings. And we're in a south-facing bungalow a couple blocks from the beach. And there's I can just visualize this as I close my eyes. A cherry, um, actually it's a um, non-fruit-bearing pear tree. And they have become prolific through the North American landscape as an ornamental that has these beautiful uh, white flowers in California mm-hmm. in February and elsewhere in the country in April and May. And we often would just be sort of entranced with with the um, the brilliance of this tree and, and its lovely fragrance. And one morning, one of our senior yoga teachers, her name is Jasmine Lieb, sort of said, come to the window very quietly. And sure enough, she had discovered a hummingbird nest. And week after week, we would check in, and eventually the brood hatched. And it was just so exhilarating to see the sort of the circle, the cycle of life with, with this particular bird. And with hummingbirds, they, they're sort of a, a, a miracle of physics because they are able to hover in a way that even some you know mechanics can't quite understand. But they're very attentive. They dart. And when they sit, they are so very still. And they live, they live actually a dozen years. So, you know, they're, they're not just like mosquitoes here one day and gone the next, but they are an enduring presence and they are a reminder of what is possible that we too can hover. We too can move very quickly. We too can find food in beautiful places. We too can become very, very silent. I have a, a hedge in my backyard that has orange honeysuckle. So I get to watch a lot of hummingbird activity there as well. They love that orange honeysuckle. <laughs> um, one of the limbs of yoga actually has to do with breath, you know, pranayama. And obviously that this air element has to do with that. And you, you quote from the Yoga Sutra, but I... I, I want to make sure we have time to talk about the uh, next element, but perhaps just give a, a couple of minutes about um, about how this element manifests in um, in pranayama in particular in yoga. Yeah, it's so interesting because the restorative and health benefit aspect of yoga it can be found throughout all populations through the breath. And in our yoga therapy programs at Loyola Marymount University, we have story after story after story of people in horrible, horrible shape, both physically and emotionally, improving by simply breathing in and holding, breathing out and holding. 
And this process of riding the breath is quite fascinating. Um, I have a pranayama that I've been doing for 50 years, mm. and it is just um, stabilizing and um, reassuring in the best of ways, mm. in the sense that when we're able to come back to our breath, we're able to come to our senses. And this is the gateway to experience. And even more than that, it's the gateway to understanding experience. As our breath becomes disordered, our mood becomes disordered. As our mood becomes disordered, our breath becomes disordered. And we have the power to simply count in and hold and count out and hold and restore that sacred equilibrium, bring ourselves toward that blessed place of pure being, of sattva. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the fifth element, we'll go there now, of space. The chapter in your book about space is called The Yoga of Space. And for this element, I'd like to quote you as you talk about bhava, which seems to speak volumes about the element of space and about our topic today, your book, Living Landscapes. You write, bhava can take many forms and bhava can be changed, cultivated, and nurtured. One correlate term might be mood. Through yoga practice and meditation, one can shift the mood or general feeling tone of a situation from agitation and anxiety into a place of understanding and acceptance. This inner space permeates the body and breath. By bringing about a physiological space of calm, a correlative calm arises in the mind. It helps bring reassurance to others. Creating and maintaining auspicious space serves as the hallmark of yoga practice. Creating and maintaining auspicious space serves as the hallmark of yoga practice. Would you speak more about this, about this um, element of space and the path of yoga? Yeah, I'll share that part of our yoga training involved for many years, every Sunday morning, sitting at the window and gazing into the sky. And I'm actually gazing into the sky right now, and it's just um, still. And so reassuring to know that whatever we're doing down here, it's all because of this brilliant dome that contains us and allows us to be. And with space, we also have sound. And with sound, we also have voice. And with voice, we're able to invoke mantra. And in so many traditions and practices, whether it's Greek Orthodox or Chinese, five-tone music, there's this capacity of sound and mantra to elevate the human spirit. And this is a vital, vital part 
of what it means to be a person of yoga. And our teacher would say, we need to learn how to sing. And in her lifetime, she composed uh, several dozen songs that those of us who studied with her could just sing at um, the drop of, of a hat. And with mantra, and some of what we learned were pieces of mantras, and some of what we learned were entire short mantras in Sanskrit, and with the experience of kirtan, of bhajan, we really know what can happen collectively within a person singing in group in particular, where there's an attunement of, of emotions that uh, then sets us on a course for the rest of our day, for the rest of our week, Sometimes in COVID, when people haven't been able to sing together for a couple of years, and we've all sort of lamented that, oh, we can't really get this to work very well on Zoom, I'm really anticipating that when the world becomes free and able to move about again, that we'll be able to um, appreciate even more fully the power of the space that's created through the human voice. Hmm. I look forward to that. <laughs> look forward to that. Yeah, I think we all do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, unbelievably, we've come to the last few minutes of the program. In closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I'd like to suggest that our listening audience take a moment and look down to the earth, take a moment to remember the omnipresence of water on our planet, to think about the lightning of the sky with the dawn, to think about the rhythm of the human breath, and to create and to continue to create a space for one's own benefit, and even more importantly, for the benefit of all people, so that this world and this body can be of service and bring the world to a place of appreciation and love. That's so beautiful and such a great recap of everything that we've talked about. So really, thank you. Thank you for that. That was really lovely. And thank you for your lovely book, um, which is called Living Landscapes. Um, is there any other last little thing you'd like to add? We've just got about a minute left. Okay. Yes, I'd like to give appreciation to all teachers, all artists, and all people of goodwill. It's through our collective efforts that we do what we can in the world. And as we seek to find commonality, we'll be able to be able to cultivate a sense of peace and understanding the world needs harmony, and through yoga, we can build it. 
Absolutely. And what a great message, an inspiring <laughs> message to end on. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the Yoga Hour. And we've been discussing meditations on the five elements with Dr. Christopher Chapel. Dr. Chapel is dedicated to the teaching of the whole person, body, mind, and spirit through the modalities of book learning and experience as provided in yoga traditions. We will have Dr. Chapel's information and the recording of this program on our website, theyogahour.com. I also wanted to let listeners know that there are several previous programs with Dr. Chapel in our archives, and we will be also posting a link to those programs on our website, theyogahour.com. We hope that you will join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, CSE is offering daily meditation online in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. and in the afternoon at 4 p.m. We also offer Sunday satsang at 10 a.m. each week, and all those times are Pacific time. You won't want to miss Live Your Higher Purpose, an online Dharma meditation retreat, which is coming up January 20th to 22nd, 2022. Registration is open online at csecenter.org. You can find out more about these online programs at the website csecenter.org and ellengraceobrien.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Chapel, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. You can join me next time on the show when John Brem will join us to discuss how to deepen your spiritual practice through the Dharma of poetry. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. You can subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, maybe share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, our um, spiritual director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, and as always, Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at Unity Online Radio. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 